In the world of forestry, one of the words that is constantly used use regarding a stand of trees or forest is the word disturbance. A disturbance is, as it sounds, a disruption of the what we might call the normal status. It can be fire, insects, invasive species, disease or drought. Now all these things sound negative. The word disturbance sounds negative. And often they are, but there are some that can be good and necessary. Fire can be devastating, but it it's also very good if it's a controlled burn. It can serve to remove fuel for uncontrolled fires and can remove insect pests and other such things that would harm the trees. It can even cause some seeds to germinate that would not germinate except for the high heat of the fire. Thinning is another disturbance, but it's a beneficial disturbance to the health of a stand of trees. And disturbances are part of the natural forest cycle. And I was thinking about this and how it applies to the church in the world. For more and more, the church is seen on the negative side as a disturbance in the world. And not a, a good one. Now, at the same time as I was ruminating on these things, I was listening also to Mark Garcia over at the Greystone Theological uh, Institute. And he was using a different word. He was talking about disruptions. That a disruption affects time and space and vocation. And along the same lines... A disruption, which is like a disturbance, is a disturbance of the status quo. And it can be good, or it can be considered a bad thing. The church, the faithful church of God, is a disruption in the status quo of the fallen world. It goes against the status quo of the fallen world. And it certainly affects time and space and vocation. If we think about time, God says one out of seven days are to be used for the worship of him. A day of rest, a day of worship, a day that you break off of the world's cycle and treadmill. The world sees every day as its own. That particular Sunday is its own. And they fashion that day as they will. Sports, entertainment, commerce, they all know no special day of rest. But God sees his people's needs and cares for them. And sees them more than merely data mines or commodities. Do you think Amazon loves you? 
You think Google loves you? Google says, well, we're here to help. But in helping you, they help themselves. And they get a whole lot more from you than you really do get from them. It's all part of this system. People are not people in the system. People are commodities. Things that, that you use. And God is a disruptive God. He changes seasons. He sets boundaries and limits. Creation was a disruption. Beginning, there was an earth without form and void. And then all of a sudden, things change and change quickly. The flood was a disruption. The calling of Abraham was a disruption. Abraham could have stayed in the Ur of Chaldees with the rest of his family. But God calls him out of that. And as he calls them, there's a great disruption because a new generation and people will come out of this disruption. The delivery of his people from Egyptian bondage was a disruption. The parting of the Red Sea certainly falls under that. And as we have been observing through December, the birth of Christ, a great, great disruption. God takes on flesh. Emmanuel, God is with us. That hadn't happened ever since the garden. It affected time and space and even vocation. Consider the events that took place even after the birth. If you go to Matthew chapter 2, And looking at verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star at its rising and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Israel with him. There's a disruption. As things were, Herod's in his palace doing his stuff that he does, most of it evil, <coughs> enjoying being in power, and here come these wise men. And they say, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Everything's disrupted at this point. The disturbance, though, had been prophesied. They tell him in verse 6, Thou Bethlehem in the land of Judea art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Verse 9 A star disrupts the nighttime sky. 
These wise men, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the child was. And then they had been instructed on the, from the king on what they were supposed to do and how they were to come back and to report to them. But God disrupts that plan and purpose in verse 12. Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. God disrupts their return plans. The world tries for disruptions. If we spent the time here in Matthew 4, <clears throat> where Satan tries to tempt Jesus and all those temptations, he's trying to, to disturb the plans of God. Don't be a savior. You don't need to go to the cross. Just bow down to me and you'll have all these kingdoms. They will be yours. And if you want to talk about disruptions, if we turn to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, you have Nicodemus, who's a well-known teacher. Well-respected. What an interchange he has with Jesus. In verse 2, the same came to Jesus by night, saying unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So you notice he starts off with the compliment. And as he starts off with the compliment, the very next thing Jesus does is give him a correction. In verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The correction comes of confusion in verse 4. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then, there's a clarification. Beginning verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence cometh. Whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? This is not the normal plan. This is not the status quo. The status quo is you follow laws and you obey the laws and through obeying the laws you go into the kingdom of God. <clears throat> You're also born into the kingdom of God by, <clears throat> by your family. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> but the whole idea, the whole status quo that Nicodemus had been living under has been blown away completely by what Jesus has just told him. What can be more 
disruptive than salvation itself. A person is going through their lives fully imbibing in the world systems, seeking gratification. Whatever is most desired, let's go for that. Mapping out their days and their nights and their lives in pursuit of their desires. They, in their minds, are plotting their own course, living life as they see fit, oblivious to God completely, stacking up sin upon sin. And he says, don't worry. I have my, my own comfortable system, and I have so many companions in this kind of thinking. Everything must be all right. But then comes a disruption. In some way, the word of God comes to him, attended by the Holy Spirit, who brings the external words internal. Now he fears for his soul. Now he knows he's a sinner. How? How can he achieve forgiveness? He can't. He's directed, look unto Jesus. His whole way of thinking is disrupted. His self-trust is disrupted. The whole frame of reference of mind and need is disrupted. But what a beautiful disruption. He was lost, but now he's found. He was deaf, but now he hears. He was blind, but now he sees. There's no greater disruption there could be than light coming into darkness. We think of another great disruption in John chapter 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It's got to be impossible. No one dies and come back, comes back to life. That can't be happening. Martha has that conversation with Jesus. And Jesus tells her in verse 23, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha gives a, a good answer, but it's not the correct answer for that moment. She saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Jesus disrupts her, her way of thinking. Her brother's dead. He's going to stay that way till the resurrection. But at this moment, in this time, Jesus is going to show his power over death. And he raises Lazarus from the dead, and he does it with his voice. The same way he created the world. How did the world receive this great event and this great miracle. Well, in verse 53, 
Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. They would rather have things the way they were. They would rather have Lazarus in the grave. Perhaps the most disruptive of things was when Jesus put forth that clear statement in John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. In that one description, in that one disruptive statement, Jesus put forth a truth that still today brings loud shouts of anger from those who are in the world, but shows that all systems are vain and empty and futile. There's one way, one truth, one life. I remember watching a video with Martin Lloyd-Jones being interviewed by a BBC reporter. And she was saying, as a Christian, aren't you taught to be gracious to other people? He says, yes. And so you're taught to be gracious towards what other people believe. And he said, basically, well, be gracious to them, but they must understand that they do not have truth. Well, how can, you, how can you say such a thing? And Lloyd-Jones said, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. I don't think the woman who was interviewing expected that answer. All systems are vain. They're empty. No matter what comes out. I notice Scientology not only has their own network and channel now, but they're trying to do specials to make it seem like they're not the very mouthpiece of hell that they actually are. And if we talk about disturbances, Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension all disrupted the status quo. No one had ever risen never to die again. No one could have ever been able or would have been able to die for the sins of the people. And no one ever had lived a sinless life in order that he can transfer his righteousness onto the unrighteous and give them a righteousness to make them acceptable to God. But you know what else? The greatest of all disruptions is yet to come. When the Son of Man cometh with the glory of His angels, on that great last day, the greatest disruption that ever took place will take place. His sheep will be placed on His right, the wicked on the left. And the world will then be judged and also it will be remade new. Talk about a change, a disruption. And you here this morning, you're part of the disruption. 
Whether you know it or not, you're part of the disruption. And you should be happy about that. I would say without a word of doubt that 85% of Harnett County is in their homes right now. Feed up, perhaps. Finishing off their brunch. After all, we were up late last night, very late, partying like the rest of the world. Because that's what the world does, you know. When, when it hits new, when it hits midnight, well, then you got to stay up and revel for a while. Or you got to be like the millions of people who stood shoulder to shoulder in Times Square and said, ain't we having a good time? We haven't found a bathroom in 12 hours, but we're having fun. By the way, you smell a little rank. Yeah, but we all stink. Why, these people are enjoying their Sunday. And if they go out and drive to some place to eat, they'll pass, pass by church parking lots. And they'll see the cars in the parking lot. And they'll see that there's a disruption in the normal plans that people have on a Sunday. We have places. Buildings that represent the worship of God. But you see, the world believes that all space is theirs. So if you're going to build a church, you better get permission. We'll tell you what to do with that land, even though it is for the worship of the true God, it's His ground. The disruption. Shouldn't all buildings be used either for commerce or for housing? Why would you need one for worship of God? Can we can we not see anything more clearly in the mindset of the world that said two years ago churches need to close? They're non essential. Even our views of vocation are different because we believe that God directs us and equips us for what we are going to do no matter what it is. Our world wants to dictate relations. Our world teaches you that you can create your reality How many of you, by raising hand, are married to your high school sweetheart, the girl that you grew up with or the fellow you grew up with? How many of you here are like that? We got two. How many of you had other girlfriends or boyfriends before you married the person? You're married. You can't have it both ways. (laughs) 
how often it is we date and we say, ah, this is the person. I, I think I'm in love. Only to find out we weren't or whatever we felt was a temporary thing. Strong emotion. And a 10-year-old girl comes to her parents and says, I feel like I should be a boy. And the parents say, well, let's do something about that. The world is ready to mutilate a child because they feel a certain way. And says, you know, you, you decide your reality. But the Christian knows it is God through whom we receive our reality. We don't create it, we receive it. In the beginning, he made them male and female. So if we're male, we receive that reality from God. If we're female, we receive that reality from God. It's not up to us to create a new one, but that's the world system. And they look and they look at you and you say, no, no, God tells us what our gender is. Oh, come on, you're disturbing things. We get our reality from God. We don't create our reality. Our reality comes from Him. Our callings come from Him. Our, our fitness for that calling comes from Him. You see, the last two years have spawned a great deal of dissatisfaction in our country, also among Christians. All seems moving at blinding speed to Vanity Fair, if you will, or to Babylon. What can we do? first place, the first place to start is to expose the world to the power of faithful Christianity. You see, we really don't have a call to change the culture. We have a call not to be changed by the culture. That has to come first. We have to be solid and faithful and true before we can even begin to make an impact. And the problem is, we don't see that. The number of churches that closed on Christmas Day. Because, well, we don't, it's, maybe people, people won't come on Christmas Day. We'll go Christmas Eve, we'll, we'll move. We'll change the Lord's Day to Saturday night. How's that? It doesn't work. That's not right. But every time the world sees us compromising and being, trying to, to make friends with them and be like them, which is a terrible infestation that has happened in so much of America's church, then they see, well, these people really don't stand for anything. And, it, and then the disturbance is not there. We are, we're the ones that have been disturbed by the world. We've been brought into their system. That we don't come out and seek daily and weekly to disrupt the world because we have a desire to be contrary. But our first and foremost desire is to be faithful to the, to the Lord. 
to the Lord to make us a good, sincere disruption to the world's status quo. Is the, world's dis- is the church's disruption to the world good or bad? The answer runs right straight through the heart of man. Right through the center of his heart. I'll close with, if we turn to Matthew chapter 5. The glowing words that Jesus gives. Matthew 5 and verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but salt has lost its savor. Wherewith shall it be salted? You see? You let let that which pollutes the salt come in. It's no longer good. It's therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city is set unto a hill, set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. You see, if we have that light, we can't let the the, the culture come in and start to to quench that light. We can't bring things in to cover the light. We must let the light shine. Let your light so shine before men. They see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The same thing Peter is getting to in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, even if they revile you, let them see your good works. Let them see your steadfast faithfulness to what God has called you to. And even though they don't like you, they still have to say good things. And as we start this new year, let us pray that it'll be a year of disruption. That when those go by us, they will look and they will see this is a faithful body of believers It's not like us. What's the difference? Why are they different from us? What do they have that we don't have? Because no matter what, in a world that we live in, answers are few, questions are many, and so many systems are flawed. We have the light. But will we keep the light lit and bright? Or will we through fear of those things that encroach upon us, will we start to cover that light so it's not quite so obvious? The moment we do that, the moment we do that, we're no longer a proper disruption, but part of the system. Let's stand together for prayer.